If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. Our passage for tonight is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to use the Bible in the pew rack in front of you, the black Bible there. You can find our passage on page 947 of the pew Bible. Uh, and as you turn there, I just want to make, a, I guess, a couple comments here that we are, uh, we've been going through the book of Romans for quite some time, for a number of months now, and uh, we've been getting a uh, heavy dose of the theology uh, of God. And uh, even last week, as we see, we saw Paul break out as meditating upon the grace of God, breaking out into uh, this wonderful uh, doxology, uh, I think it's been a, a hope, a, a rich uh, time and an encouragement to, and strengthening of your faith and has helped you to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Um, but as we've come to the end of Romans 11 and you reach this sort of uh, mountain peak of, of doxology as we were in last week, it's almost, it's, it feels a little strange that the Bible, that the book of Romans keeps going. What do you, where do you go after this? And, you know, if you're reading through the book of Romans from, from front to end, you can almost kind of, you can't really help but pause here at the end of chapter 11, and it's as if you can hear a breath being taken by Paul before he moves on. And truly, as we start in Romans 12 tonight, there's a sense in which we're turning a corner uh, in this book. We've been looking at the, the docs, uh, uh, we've been looking at the doctrine, as it were, of God, though there has been application throughout. I hope you've been able to see that. But now in chapter 12, Paul's attention and focus is, is turning now uh, from, from doctrine primarily to duty. Uh, this is now that we have uh, the knowledge and the theology um, of the first 11 chapters. And then you look at chapter 12, verse 1. He, he has that famous word, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? He's, he's talking about all that you've read, all that we have taken in, all that we have meditated on that has led to, to the apostle breaking out in doxology. What am I to do with this? Therefore. And then he begins in this chapter now to instruct us. How do we live in light of the knowledge that has been given to us of the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, the one who has taken the place of the sinners whom God has elected, Jesus who has made himself a propitiation for us? What do we do now that I've begun to really take hold of the grace of God in Jesus Christ? And so in the next Weeks as we continue, the next few months as we continue through uh, the book of Romans, we'll be looking more and seeing more how we are to live. What are the duties? What are the, the jobs, the work of the believer? And so I feel in some ways that we're kind of starting anew, even though we're, let's say, two-thirds of the way through the book. And uh, But with that in mind, I, I kind of want you to have that sort of context and that picture and outline in mind uh, as we look at our two verses tonight. And so with that, let's, uh, let's take our, uh, our minds and our attentions to God's Word. 
be looking at these two verses in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, as we look at this tremendous passage, these only two verses, and yet how it has played such a deep role in so many Uh, so many hearts and lives, and how we are to think about you and how we are to live our lives. I pray, O Lord, that you would work amongst us. I pray for your spirit to, to help us not only to understand and grasp these words, but Lord, I pray that you would work them out in our lives. And I pray that we would delight in being ones who belong to you. And I pray that you would call us to see you in worship. In all of our lives, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was 13 years old, I was invited to a church event, a a church that my family did not attend, but a a friend of mine in my neighborhood that I would play ball with and ride bikes with, his family was going, and they invited me to come, and and so I went. It was like a Friday night or something, and uh, we went there, and I didn't know what to expect, and what they did is they would... Uh, take all the people who were coming and visiting and they would kind of do this sort of progressive play where you would go from one room to the next and you saw this sort of whole story play out. And, and one of the things that I remember even still is they were trying to show the stark contrast between heaven and hell to really impress that heaven is where you want to be. And I I remember we first went into this this room that was that was hell. It was the lights were off, the the heat was bumped up on on high, and there were people dressed as demons jumping around chaotically. It was it was scary. It was uncomfortable. And then after we left that and heard all the ghouls and shrieks and so on, we went into the next room. The lights were on. The air conditioning was working. Everything was peaceful and nice. And I thought, this must be heaven. That made an impression upon my 13-year-old mind. Because at the end of the tour, uh, you came into this other room, a little chapel, and an evangelist uh, made this presentation. He did an altar call, and I, I... I was sobbing. If hell was anything like that room, I did not want to go. And I I went up and I went to the front and I prayed the sinner's prayer. And afterwards, I was taken into another room and there was a man who was there who many in my town knew and respected. And he wanted to talk more and and I got to ask all my questions that I had. I talked about how I didn't want to go to hell. and, 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 And I said, what do I do? So I said, don't go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And he told me then, he said, I, I, Ben, you need to live a good life. You need to keep the Ten Commandments. You need to do what the Bible tells you to do, and then God will be happy with you, and you'll get to go to heaven when you die. And so I 
had prayed the sinner's prayer. I was recorded in their documents as being converted to Christ. But I can tell you on that day, I was not converted. I was not a new person in Jesus Christ. I was not regenerated. That day was, would come years later. Because I, I look back on that time and I think of the, the following years, my teenage years. I, I really did, in light of that night, try to live up to the standards of God's law. I wanted to please God. I wanted to go to heaven. But instead, what happened is eventually I, I quit. Because it was impossible for me to do. And actually, instead of being a, a, a good child and a good student, I lived a life of uh, deep rebellion. And uh, it, was, it was a dark time. And I've gone back in my mind since I've become a Christian and I've asked myself, you know, what went wrong that night? Why, why, wasn't, why didn't I start living a, a good life then? At the age of 13, they had me right where they wanted me. Well, what I was missing was the new heart. I was missing the new heart that God gives to sinners. When He takes out your heart of stone and gives you a new heart of life, and He does that when you are converted. Not that I would get everything right uh, right away, but I, I still saw myself as the Lord over my life. Not Jesus. I, I saw myself as the Lord over my life, not Christ. And so I can tell you, even though my name is in their record books of having a conversion date uh, that all those years ago, I can tell you right now my Christian life had not yet begun. My life had not yet begun. When we look at our verses tonight... Again, we're at a turning point in the book of Romans where Paul has taught us the great doctrines of the faith. And now in verses 12, chapters 12 through 15, we'll be teaching us on, about the duties of every believer. And I, I feel it's my duty tonight as we begin this section of Romans to try to set up the next chapters for you to help us to understand rightly uh, these, 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 this calling to live in a certain way. Jesus will teach us the duties of every believer. But I want you to remember that as we've seen throughout the book of Romans, that the theme time and again is that God is rich in mercy and grace is His theme. And so you may be wondering tonight and the next subsequent Sunday nights, how do I know? How do I know if Christ has broken into my life? How can I know that I've tasted true grace in Christ? Paul is going to dig into this in chapter 12. And then uh, right off the bat, we learn that if you have been converted in Christ, what's going to happen is that you will seek obedience to God. That's one of the signs that God has broken into your life. You will seek obedience to God. This is not something that you'll eventually graduate to. Sometimes I think we believe or feel, well, I'll, I'll get there someday where I live a life of obedience. Now, certainly, we grow in that. It's not like day one of your Christian life, you've got it all nailed down and you're always living a perfect life. 
But actually, obedience, where you say, Lord, you, God, Jesus, you are Lord, and I'm going to bow my knee to you. That's when the Christian life begins. That's when Christian living begins. Of course, we grow in our obedience. We're strengthened in our faith. But the day that you've been given a new heart is the day you say, I, I know and I recognize that I needed somebody else. I needed someone other than me to rescue me. And it is to him that I belong. If you notice in verse 1 who Paul is appealing to. Verse 1 he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers. It's an important word here. There's a lot going on in these two verses. And I'm not going to cover everything. But I want to point out, this this is really important. Paul is writing to these Christians, and he's calling them brothers. He is considering them as men and women who have been saved by the mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ. As ones who have the same heavenly Father and have been born again into a new and same family. He says, brothers, I am writing this to you. You know, if there's one thing every believer knows, every believer knows, no matter how new or young in the faith you may be, you know this. I was bought with a price. I was bought with a price. I needed this to be preached to me when I was 13 years old. And I don't want to blame them. It's my Rebellion. It's my unbelief that condemns me. But I don't want you to miss that as we're preaching through these chapters over these next weeks and months. You need the grace and power of God indwelling in you to enable you to live an obedient and godly and good life. You see, once God has brought you into His family, He makes you a new creation in Christ. You're a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. And then He gives you instruction on how to live. Because we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We are ones who belong to Him. And so Paul tells us here, so glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your life. And so again, we're going to see that our salvation in Jesus Christ does not simply or merely mean that we have a new destination. But rather, it does mean that. We have a new eternal destination. But it also changes our lives today. Changes our character today. And so as we consider that, I I want us to look at this appeal now that Paul is making to these Christians who are in Rome. And it's, see, look at this in two points. We're going to look at the the basis for Paul's appeal, and then we're going to look at the detail of Paul's appeal. The basis for Paul's appeal, and then the detail of Paul's appeal. And actually this word appeal that we have here in the ESV, uh, that word, it is an appeal that he's making here, but I, I think there's a stronger sense of, of exhortation. You, sometimes we think of an appeal. Would you, 
Would you please give me another cookie? I've heard that before. It can be a strong appeal. But mother can still say, no. Paul is not appealing here as a child might appeal to a parent for another cookie, but rather he's, he's given an appeal that's really like an exhortation, more like a general orders his troops. That's my appeal to you. This is what you are to do. Go and live. And so we see this exhortation that Paul is making. So what is the basis for this exhortation here in verse 1? Read this with me, or look at this with me. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, I want us to consider some of the language here when you see your spiritual worship. Some of you might have the King James Version rattling around in your head that says your reasonable service. That word spiritual or or reasonable could also be translated either way, but that Greek word is where we get the word logic okay, or logical. So there's a sense in which Paul is saying, because of all that we've read and all that we've seen from chapters 1 through 11, because of the grace of God that's been laid out before us, Paul is saying, now the logical thing to do, this is the only logical thing for you to do, is this. This helps us understand that the basis for Paul's exhortation is God's mercies. Because of God's mercy, therefore, because of everything that has happened, what has been explained to us in verses 1 through 11 of the gospel of God and Jesus Christ, and is summed up here in verse 1 by the mercies of God. We who are judgment deserving sinners, that's who we are. That's who you are. There's nothing in us, there's nothing innate in you that appeals to God's favor. It is the sheer mercy of God that He comes to us. We do not possess the righteousness that we need. As we learned all the way back in chapter 1. And so God sends His Son to be our righteousness. Isn't it amazing that He would love any of us? That any of us would know know God in Jesus Christ? And to have new life in Him. The entirety of of God's dealing with sinners is mercy. It is all mercy. His mercy is so great, so unfathomable as we saw last week. It It is deep that anyone who receives this mercy, how else can you respond to it? Then to come to God and say, God, everything that I am, all that I have, all of it is is yours, Lord. I'm a sinner deserving of judgment and hell for eternity. That is what I deserve. And you rescued me out of that. And you have loved me and you've given me the spirit that, that enables me to cry out, Abba, Father. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. 
What other conclusion can you come up with than to say, God, I and all that I am is yours. And that's what Paul is saying here. There is no other logical conclusion. Your spiritual worship, your reasonable service, the only logical way to live your life is one that is indebted to God, indebted to Jesus Christ. And so that's the basis for Paul's exhortation. The mercy of God. The mercy of God. And thus, then take some time and consider the detail now of Paul's exhortation. Look at the detail of Paul's exhortation. Look with me at verse 1. When you've experienced the mercies of God and been made new in life, we see there's a new dedication to your life. In verse 1, by the mercies of God, we are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Paul says, you are to be a living sacrifice. Sort of... This is religious language, isn't it? You are a sacrifice who is living, and you are not a a sacrifice that is to be uh, dirty or polluted, uh, but rather you are holy, he says, and acceptable to God. That is how you are to present your life to God, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. But the thing I want us to really kind of spend more time thinking about tonight is is that he says, it's very interesting to me, he says that it is our bodies, it is our bodies that is to be this living sacrifice. I think it's important to highlight this aspect, and again, we could talk about all these words and all that's going on here, but I think it's important to highlight this in light of the age that we live in. How many... Do we know? And maybe you feel this yourself. You despise your bodies. Despise your body. It seems that there are many people today who do everything that they can to uh, one way or another escape from their bodies. Just consider the, the array of and the depth and the The issues of of eating disorders. Think about the problems of of gender confusion. Or think about people who live their lives entirely and completely on the internet. Or with their face in front of their phones. People are more and more disengaging to seek disengaging from their bodies or, or they despise their bodies and say, I want to be something else. I don't like what I've been born with. And I want to be disengaged from the flesh and blood that I inhabit. And if you're addicted to the internet, to your phones, you disengage from the flesh and blood family and friends who actually live their lives with you. There has to be a lot of self-hatred and a desire to escape the flesh that these things are so prevalent and enticing in our lives. 
Now, I say this with, with sympathy because I am sure that there are some, if not all of you, who struggle with some of these things in some way. And I hope that these verses will help you if you are struggling with eating disorders or addictions, gender confusion, obsessive internet use or phone use. You may struggle with loving your body and wanting to have something else, but God made you. He made your body. Think about the babies who've just been born, and we, we praise God for all these babies, and we, we, we quote Psalm 139, how you are fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in the womb by God, and we, we, we rejoice in that because it's true, and yet when we get older, we forget. God still loves you. He loves your body. His bo- your body is important to God. And Paul is saying that your body is to be a living sacrifice to Him. God cares about who you are. He cares about your body. God seeks to redeem it. Think about the way in which God justifies you. He justifies you in His Son. How does He do that? He redeems you. Jesus redeems you from the curse of hell and brings you into his family. He makes you into a child and bestows upon you the riches of God. And he does that because the Son of God comes down and he takes on a body. He takes on a body. And we need to see that our bodies are not to be despised. Quite the opposite. We are to present them before God. And you may say, well, that sounds good, Ben, and and all these other people around here need to hear this. This doesn't apply to me. I I don't struggle with any of those issues. And yet, even if that's true, we still need to recognize that how many ways we use our bodies in sinful ways. How often we can run, use our feet, run to to, to see and, and look on to Violence. Use our hands to manipulate things to make ourselves look better than we are. We, we use our lips to lie. Or to speak words that cut others to the heart. And we use our eyes to look away from God. What is the, the Christian life? We, we had... The armor of God in, in, in our VBS this summer, and thinking about the body parts that God says and wants you to cover in our feet. What is our feet to stand upon? To stand upon the gospel of God and Jesus Christ. That's not a verse telling you to go be evangelist. It's saying, no, your footing needs to be standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is solid ground, not out, not anywhere else. Our feet are to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hands are to be used to build up and edify. Our lips are to be used to speak the truth and give praise to God. And our eyes. Colossians 3 says we are to look to the things that are above. Our eyes are to be looking to God, not away from Him. And so we're reminded here our bodies are to belong to God because they do belong to God if you've been bought with the price of the Son, Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus, to secure our salvation, 
he took on flesh. He took on a body. And he lived a perfect life. He died a real death as our substitute. And his life, no, we can't, we, we, no one's here telling you you're going to earn salvation by living up to the law. In fact, we know the law is like a mirror. is going to show us how we fail. We need to go to Christ. And yet, Jesus' life is an example to us. Our faithfulness needs to be seen in our bodies. How we are to worship and to love God and our neighbor. This is the new dedication that you are called to. If you've experienced and tasted the mercy of God, your life is dedicated, your body is dedicated to him. Not only do we have this dedication, we have this new distinction. Look at verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world. There's a sense in which we are to be distinct from the world. There's a distinctiveness of the Christian life. We are not to conform to this world. There might be a, a lot of times you hear people talk about how my Christian life is distinctive because, you know, I used to do these things over here and they were all bad and now I don't do them anymore and we praise God for that. But the distinctiveness is even, I think, here greater than this. There's a sense in which this Christian distinctiveness is, is that I am to be set apart from the world by having the entire way that I think, the entire counsel that I take in, the pattern of thought that determines my decision making, that's not to come from the world. I'm not to think with, with, worldly, uh, with a worldly paradigm, but rather my mind needs to be informed by the Word of God. And applied to my daily life. And what is it that influences your decision making? We have decisions we have to make every day. What to eat, where to go. Uh, well, sometimes we have big decisions. Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Uh, the, the, where should I go to college? What kind of career I should pursue? I mean, we have all sorts of decisions. Some are big and some are little. But what is it that is informing your mind? How, is, how are you thinking about this? Paul is saying, don't be conformed. Don't let it be the world that is filling your mind. Jesus teaches us, as we even heard this morning, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom. Seek His kingdom. And these things will be added unto you. Is that the focus of your thought, of your mind, seeking first the kingdom of God, not the things of the world. Even when we consider our daily lives, what are your priorities? You have limits, you know. Some of you feel that more keenly than others, but we only have so much time in the day, only so much energy to expend. There's only so much that you can do in the day. What are your priorities? How do you arrange your Life, your heart, your thoughts. Do we take on the priorities of a world that hates Jesus? Or do we take on the priorities of Scripture, the things of God and the things that God loves? You're exhorted to be distinct. Do not be conformed to this world. And thirdly, we see in Christ who received the mercies of God, we are to have a new discernment. 
verse verse 2. We are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This word transformed is the same word that is used to describe Jesus' transfiguration. Our, our lives would be so transformed by God's Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that the glory of Jesus Christ is, is shining through our lives. And you say, that, well, that sounds good. I want that to happen. But how does this happen? And Paul says this happens by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. The goal here, in a sense, is the will. But you access that through the mind. God accesses the the will through the mind. And so that's where a Christian transformation of your character takes place. It's in the mind. As you think, so you are. So you need to be people who are committed to reading Scripture. To knowing God's Word. Knowing good and reading good Christian books and speaking with one another about Christian thoughts and and seeking help. How do I live in this situation? So that your mind can be filled with the things of God. How do you discern the will of God? Well, he says... Only through the renewal of mind. It is by the renewed mind that it may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we do this, he says, by obedience. By obedience to God. So that your whole life, your, your body, your mind is presented to God. And it is then that you will be able to discern, to know what is God's will. And my friends, sometimes we need to be reminded that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. Because sometimes we don't believe it. Too often we keep ourselves from submitting to God in obedience because we're suspicious that God's will is not good enough. You know what? It's not acceptable to me. And maybe, even though he says it's perfect, I have this suspicion maybe it's somehow less than perfect. You need to know in your mind and submit your life to God's will that the only place where your life is truly going to be good and safe, even though it will cost you much, is in the will of God, in obedience to Him. And that is good and acceptable and perfect. Back to my story when I was young. I I did eventually come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Good for you to know since I'm up here tonight. I was a college student. It was a few years later. And I was personally in a very dark place. But God wonderfully, miraculously gave me a new heart. And I can tell you my life turned around right away. It wasn't perfect. I didn't know very much. In fact, the only Bible I had was a children's Bible. It saw little pictures of 
Noah and the animals on the ark and so on. So I went to the local Christian bookstore and I said, well, where's your Bible section? And there's this whole row of Bibles. I said, well, which Bible do I get? I didn't know the difference between denominations. And so I got a, ended up getting a King James Version and an NIV Version. I knew nothing. I knew, I knew nothing of theology. But I can tell you what I did know. I knew that the Savior Jesus Christ is the only light in this dark world. And that I owed him my life. It did not take me years to become one who sought to submit my life to him. Though I knew so little, I only wanted to know more. And I only wanted my life to belong to him. Yes, I was and continue to be imperfect. But I sought out obedience. And to present your your bodies as a living sacrifice and not being conformed to this world, but having your mind renewed so that you may have a transformed life and a transformed mind, that is not the end goal of the Christian life, but that's where it starts. You have received the mercy of God. This is where the Christian life begins. You may say you know tonight that you're a Christian. Well, if you have tasted and known the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, then you will present your body and your mind and your life entirely to him as a living sacrifice because there is nothing else you can do. There is no other response that you can truly have. And so you are exhorted tonight to keep on doing this, presenting your life to God, the one who bought you with a price, the price of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I, I do pray that you would help us to see the glorious grace of the gospel that you have given us your son. We don't deserve your love, and yet you bestow it upon us. Lord, would you work that out in our lives? Forgive us for seeking to make ourselves to be the Lord of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fight against that and to know and be reminded that it is to you and you alone that we owe everything, everything that we have. I ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen.